reading our scripture. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapters 3 and 4 in our study tonight, and we're going to be talking about the call to service. I want to just very quickly say that not long ago, D.O. stopped by the office, as he often does, and mentioned to me about presenting some lessons that have to do with preparing for leadership. And so I'm very happy to do that, and there are a lot of different ways that we can lead. Of course, we think about those who function as elders or leaders, and then there are other ways that all of us as Christians can lead or be a leader in the church. But we're going to be looking at Exodus chapters 3 and 4 tonight as we think about the call to service. I want to begin by emphasizing the fact that when God calls us to become a Christian, He really is calling us to a life of service, isn't He? We're called through the gospel, but once we respond to the gospel call, then we are to become servants of God in His kingdom. Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 that we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so the Lord wants us to be servants. He wants us to be active and busy in the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 6, a question was asked by Jesus on one occasion when he asked, Why do you stand here idle all the day? There are some people within the church that idleness is a problem. There are others, however, that are always doing something to advance the cause of Christ. Tonight I want us to look at the life of Moses for a minute or two and think about God summoning him to service. And one of the real interesting aspects of chapters 3 and 4 is the fact that Moses sought to relinquish this call to service. Matter of fact, he would just as soon have had somebody else assume this position. And so we're going to be thinking about that in a moment or two. Let me just call attention to Exodus chapters 3 and 4 as we think about the call to service tonight. I want to begin very quickly by saying that you remember God's people had, they had ultimately settled in the land of Goshen. And Joseph had risen to prominence under Pharaoh. And in the land of Goshen, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, became a great and mighty nation. And so when you make the transition from the book of Genesis into Exodus, the Bible says there arose a new king in Egypt that knew not Joseph. That new king, of course, did not know the God of Joseph. And so God's people are under oppression. And they are under the mighty hand of Pharaoh. They begin to cry out to God for deliverance. And so God tells them that He's going to deliver them and He needs a man to assume this mantle of leadership. And that man was Moses. God specifically chose Moses for this task. So I want to begin by noting, let me just cite, if I could, three objections that Moses raises as to why he is not the man. And you think about the various opportunities that we have to serve. And sometimes, whether it is verbal or nonverbal, we look for reasons as to why we can't answer the call to service. And so, first, Moses spoke 
of his inferiority. Now, pick up with me, if you would, in chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 1, of course, we read of Moses, and he is a shepherd, and he is tending the flock in Midian, around Sinai. The Bible says that he came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. There are so many different lessons in chapters 3 and 4, really in the book of Exodus. But here we are introduced to the angel of Jehovah, the angel of the Lord, and I believe that this is none other than the second member of the Godhead, the eternal word. We would know him as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. But he was the word who became flesh. He is the one of whom Micah spoke many years ago and said whose day whose goings forth are from eternity, from the days of eternity. All right? Listen now. Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not draw near the place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now, the desert, this rough area of land where Moses and his flock were residing, the ground itself was not holy, but rather what made this a holy place was being in the presence of a holy God. That is, the angel of Jehovah, the second member of the Godhead. And I would remind us that when we come to worship, we are in the presence of God. This building is not intrinsically holy in and of itself. But we are in the presence of a holy God. And He demands and commands our utmost respect and reverence. So in verse 6, the Lord said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So we think about this appearance to Moses. But note, if you would, there is an announcement made to Moses. Look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Now, we talk about God and the fact that He is an all-knowing being. He is omniscient, isn't He? There is nothing that escapes the all-seeing eyes of Almighty God. He knows all. He sees all. Solomon said, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. When we hurt, when we are suffering, when our lives are filled with pain, does the Lord know? Yes, He does. He knew the state of ancient Israel. So in verse 8 he said, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, 
out of Egypt. Two things here. First, when we talk about the call of Moses, the fact that there was an announcement made to this man, it involved first and foremost the redemption of Israel, didn't it? What was Moses doing at this point in time in history? You remember he had grown up in the court of Pharaoh. The Bible says in Acts chapter 7, Stephen says, speaking of Moses, that he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in words and in deeds. He had grown up in, in the court of Pharaoh. He's now spent time as a shepherd. And you think about the parallel from his work as a shepherd and the role that he would assume as a shepherd over the Israelite nation. And there's a great lesson here for us. And that is at the heart of the work of a shepherd is redemption. It's all about redemption. It is a spiritual work, isn't it? Moses was called upon to redeem, to deliver the children of Israel. And we talk about those who function as shepherds today. And their task, their role, their great responsibility is first to ensure that the gospel is placed in the hearts and lives of people. In other words, salvation. The second is to ensure that those who are saved stay saved. That would have to do with their edification and faithfulness to God. So there is this great responsibility that is going to be thrust upon the shoulders of Moses. So first, this announcement has to do with the redemption of Israel, and then it would have to do with his responsibility to Israel. Listen again to what he says in verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Can you imagine assuming this role? Here you are, a shepherd, and you're out tending your flock, the Lord appears to you and He says, Look, you have a tremendous responsibility about to be placed on your shoulders. You're going to be responsible for leading some two million people out of the land of Egypt. What a difficult task. So, in light of that, there is some apprehension on the part of Moses, isn't there? I think about his reluctance to answer the call. Listen, if you would, to verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? How many times have you asked the question, again, maybe verbally to somebody else, or maybe you have asked yourself, Who am I? I mean, who am I to assume a role of leadership in the church. Who am I to be an elder, a deacon, a preacher, a teacher, a song leader, a VBS worker? There are so many different responsibilities in the church. And sometimes we ask the question, who am I? Lord, you want me to be involved in this work? right. You see, we are, God's, we are God's hands, we are God's feet, we are God's mouths, we are God's eyes. 
the work of the church is going to be done, it'll be done by us. So I think about his reluctance, but then there is a reminder. Look at verse 12. Here's what God said. And think about this. Here is Moses. He's now 80 years of age. He has a background in Pharaoh's court. He has the background of a shepherd. He has seen a lot. He's heard a lot. He's done a lot. And now this awesome responsibility is being thrust upon his shoulders. So he asks the question, who am I? But here's what God said. I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mount. When God calls us to service, does He not assure us that He'll be with us? The answer is yes. Do you remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28? When He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then He said, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then here's what He said, And lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. There's something about knowing that the Lord is at our side. A little bit later in history, Moses will step out into eternity. And the Bible tells us in the book, in the book of Joshua, that God announces to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. And guess what, Joshua? It's your time to be a to be a leader, to be a servant. And so the mantle of leadership falls upon Joshua. Moses has been this great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, and now the baton, the torch is passed. You look at the, the church today, and you think about all the people that have been members of this congregation down through the years. I was looking just a little bit earlier today at an old newspaper article that had a picture of the church building here when it began at this location, 1979. And you think about all the people that have served here as Bible class teachers, as song leaders, as VBS workers, as preachers, as elders, as deacons, a lot of folks. So there is always the need for people to step up and assume a role of leadership. So we think about his inferiority. He felt inferior. And sometimes I think humble people, that's how they look at things. Sometimes because of their humility, they don't think of themselves as some great charismatic leader. But Moses felt inferior. And what God was saying is, I'll be with you. Let me call attention now to chapter 4, if I could. There is a second excuse that was offered by Moses in the long ago. His first excuse was inferiority. His second excuse is inadequacy. How many times have you taken on a particular task or role And you felt so ill-equipped, so inadequate in that work. I think about the responsibility that I have to preach and to teach. And there are times, quite frankly, that I feel very inadequate 
in trying to communicate the Word of God to people. There are many times that I leave here on Sunday evening or Sunday morning and I think, would it have been possible to say something a different way? Should I have looked at it from a different angle, etc.? So you think about feelings of inadequacy. Well, Moses felt in many respects inadequate. And so, in light of that, note if you would, with regard to this excuse. I, I want to begin by talking about his trepidation. He expresses some trepidation over the work that is before him. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Moses answered the Lord again, and, and here's what he says, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Here's what comes to mind. The fear of the unknown. You know, if you've never done something before, isn't there a certain amount of fear associated with that? You've never preached a lesson. You've never taught a lesson. You've never led singing. You've never led public prayer. You've never served as an elder. You've never functioned as a deacon. You've never engaged in some specific work. So there's always the fear of the unknown. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent the 12 out on what we typically call the limited commission. When he sent the 12 out, he talked about the hardships and persecutions and difficulties that they would face. The fact that they would be hated by all men, persecuted, given up by friends and family members. Three times in Matthew chapter 10, here's what Jesus says. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Now think about that for a minute. The Lord is sending out these men that have had the opportunity to spend time with Him. They have heard Him speak, teach, preach over and over and over again. They've seen the great miracles that He has wrought among the people. And so here He is sending them out to preach, to teach. Are they concerned? Are they apprehensive? Probably. I think that's why Jesus would say three times in Matthew chapter 10, Do not fear. Sometimes we fear the unknown, don't we? So what about the tools to equip Moses? If God gives us a task and intends for us to accomplish the task, don't you think that He will equip us to do that? Do we not have the all-sufficiency of Scripture today to guide us, to mold us, to make us what He wants us to be, and then to aid us in carrying out His work? So, in this context, first, the Lord is going to talk about the power that Moses would possess in this work. Note if you would, verse 2. The Lord said, what is, in, what is in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. He reached out his hand and caught it, became a rod in his hand. 
He said that they may believe that the Lord God of your fathers, the, father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. So he put it, his hand in his bosom again, drew it out, and the Bible says it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, he said, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be that if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, he said that you shall take water from the river, that is the river Nile, and he said, you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Now you think about the miraculous power that would be endowed in the life of Moses. The miraculous power that Moses would receive would be to give him credibility and to authenticate his message, would it not? In the first century when the apostles began preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 2? They received that baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had said, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He'll guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit guided the apostles in all the truth. Thus they had the ability to perform the miraculous, just as Jesus did, to authenticate their work, to authenticate the Word, to confirm the Word, as Jesus said in Mark chapter 16. Today we have the all-sufficient Word of Almighty God. We have everything that pertains to life and godliness, as Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1. Everything that we need to know about the work of the church has been outlined in the Scriptures, has it not? And so, we think about being equipped for the task at hand. So the Lord is saying, first and foremost, Moses... You're going to have power to accomplish this work. And secondly, he says, you'll have my presence to accomplish this work. Go back and look again at chapter 3, verse 12. Let me read it again. God said to Moses, I will certainly be with you. Now, if God promised to be with Moses, he promised to be with Joshua, will he not be with us? Do you remember in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew letter, Hebrews chapter 13, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. What shall man do unto me? So, feelings of inadequacy. There is a third excuse that Moses cites. You know, when you begin to offer excuses over a period of time, what strikes me is you, you become pretty good at it, don't you? You master the art of saying no. Moses has now tried to come up with excuses as to why he's not right for the job. So listen to him in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Let me just pause there for a minute. 
This excuse, it intrigues me. And the reason is because over in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, the Bible says that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in word and in deed. So you begin to ask yourself, now what do you, what do you mean, Moses? You're not eloquent. You're slow of speech, slow of tongue. Is it possible that he had some type of speech impediment? Well, I guess so. Possibly. Some commentators would say that. Is it possible that over the span of time, he didn't have a full grasp of the Hebrew language? Some would say that possibly there were some problems with the Hebrew language. I don't really have a definitive answer, but I know this. He was mighty in words and deeds, and I wonder if it was just an excuse. It was just that. Maybe he wasn't the most capable, charismatic speaker. But Stephen said he was mighty in words and in deeds. And so, here is Moses trying to come up with another excuse as to why he is not God's man of the hour. So here's what the Lord said, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Could I ask you a question? Do you really think in your heart of hearts that God would have called upon a man by the name of Moses to assume this mantle of leadership if God was not fully convinced that he could execute it to a T? Do you not think that God knew Moses inside and out, and that he knew that he had every capability within him to fulfill the task at hand? I think the answer is yes. So, note the continuation. Here's what the Lord said. Go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you will say. Now note verse 13. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. He's at it again, isn't he? He's trying to defer service to somebody else. Now we think about the work of the church and the various opportunities for service in the church. You might be here tonight and you have the capabilities, you have the wisdom, the biblical knowledge, the skill to serve as an elder one day. You have that. It might be that you'll be called upon to serve, and I want to ask you a question. What will you say? Will you have an excuse as to why you can't serve? How many times do people say, you know what, I just don't have time to be involved in the work of the church. Do you think God calls people who are idle to serve us? Moses was busy, wasn't he? Look, God doesn't need lazy people. God wants people who are active and busy and working. And so you think about, sometimes we have lots of excuses. The work of a shepherd is a spiritual work. 
I think somewhere along the line we got the idea that the work of a deacon is a physical work. I get what Luke records in Acts chapter 6 about the Hebrew widows that were being neglected. The fact that the apostles called upon the people of that day to select able, godly men to function in that capacity to render need to those Hebrew widows. But Philip was one of the men chosen, wasn't he? And he was an evangelist. Look, the work of an elder is a spiritual work. The work of a deacon is not just a physical work, it is a spiritual work. It's a work. They're all works. And so, is it possible that we would defer service? I can't serve as an elder, can't serve as a deacon. Can't serve as a Bible class teacher, can't do this, can't do that. Maybe somebody else would be better. Look, if you have the ability, then you need to serve, don't you? If you have the ability to serve in whatever capacity it might be that you're called upon to serve in, you need to serve. Listen now, verse 14. The Bible says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, Do you think it makes God angry when we as able-bodied, competent members of the body of Christ come up with excuse after excuse after excuse as to why we can't serve or why we can't do this or that or why we can't be involved in this program or that work or this work or whatever? Is it possible the Lord could be angry with you because you have come up with any number of excuses as to why you can't serve in the, in the work of the church. So the Lord said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he's also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be to you or rather, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. Here's the bottom line. Moses looked for reasons why he wasn't God's man. We have a lot of capable members here. You are the cream of the crop of this congregation. Did you know that? The cream of the crop. You're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, when activities are going on, you're here. We need each and every one to answer the call to service. I want to encourage you to be praying. I want to ask you to pray. And you pray and ask God, how can I best use my talents or abilities in your service in this congregation? Ask God. Petition Him daily. Pray about the work. Be willing 
or ready to serve. There is a lot that can be done in this community. There's a lot that can be done within this congregation. But it takes every single member working together, willingly assuming a leadership role in some capacity. There are so many things to be done. You think about the growth of this community, the size of this church. There is no way that we have tapped into the full potential that we have in this congregation. Not at all. We can never be satisfied with the work of the church. Status quo will never get it done. It's not God's way. You show me in the Bible where God ever accepted status quo. Give me one verse, you can't do it. When you look at what the Bible has to say, the marching orders, 2,000 years ago, and they're still true today. Listen to them very quickly. One word, go. 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 So what are you doing to go? What are you going to do to help make a difference in this community and in this church? Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your love and care for us. We're grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the church. We're thankful for the opportunity to serve in the kingdom. And Father, we pray that you would bless us with wisdom. We pray that we would accept whatever challenges come our way, that we would willingly serve in whatever capacity that we can. Help us to rise up and to accept the challenges before us. Help us to never become complacent. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us for times when we have been complacent. And we ask that you would bless us in your work and in your service. We pray that you would bless our leaders. We pray for our elders, our deacons, for every member. Help us to be a shining light for good in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would willingly turn away from a life of sin through repentance, confess the name of Jesus, and be baptized into Christ, you will enjoy the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, verse 38. If you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, Revelation 2, verse 10. If you're here tonight, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. Maybe you're not faithful. And you need the prayers of the church. Listen, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.